Hey, it's Andy. Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's a good one. You're really going to like it. And you know, if you like good things, you should also check out the movie Deep Dive podcast that Mike Pusateri and I did on The Right Stuff. Now, what are you two pud knockers going to have, huh? And we are going to break down the 1983 classic, The Right Stuff. And now you're all like, that's great. You morons picked a movie that's... <laughs> 37 years old. The movie, it was just so stylized in such a unique way that I had never seen, I can never recall seeing a film like that, really, was how unique it was in their presentation of it and the filming, and that really drew me to that movie, and I think it still makes it really rewatchable. I've probably seen it 10 to 15 times and would watch it again this week. Hey, Ridley, you got any demons? Yeah, I think I got a stick. Love it, son. I'll pay you back later. Fair enough. It's available now on the Pointless Exercise podcast feed wherever podcasts are sold for free. Or why don't you fix your little problems and light this candle? Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap with Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you doing? Uh, never been better, Andy. That's great. What can I tell you? Yeah. So the, the, the Bears, the hottest team in pro football, Woo! winners of five in a row. No, that's right. Losers of five in a row are facing uh, one of the teams they actually beat earlier this season. The... Do you know who the interim head coach of the Detroit Lions is? Oh, jeez, I don't. So they just they just got rid of. I had to look it up that, yesterday. That Belichick branch or trunk and Patricia. Uh, you know what? It, it's not Jim Bob Cooter, is it? No, and that's uh, exactly what I said on the podcast last night. I was like, that's if it's not, I that from you. I if thought, it's I not know if I heard Jim that Bob Cooter, score. what's the <laughs> Joe Mull- Joe Mullen? Do you remember Joe Mullen? Is that the guy that was naked in the drive-through? believe it was yeah all right that's who really that is who they should hire tell me he's their coach it is the great daryl bevel oh yeah okay my the first probably best known for his play calling at the goal line in uh super bowl would it be 51 i don't know the numbers or the letters well mannings was 50 but maybe that's the one he blew so I don't, yeah, maybe it was 49, but Darryl, yeah, the Seattle, best remembered as a very, as a Brady, as a eh, college quarterback at Wisconsin. Correct. And that's then, right. Uh, uh, a non-factor as a pro. I don't know that he uh-huh. ever made it. I'm sure he was a backup somewhere. And now a very mediocre offensive coordinator for lots of teams. He uh, did he not make magic with Brett Favre the first year that uh, the latter came to Minnesota? I want to say he was Minnesota's coordinator in 2010 or 2009, I should say. Oh, I'm sure that was before his infamy in the Super Bowl. He has. Has he? Here's where he's coached. He coached at Westmar. How's that? I don't know what that is. That must be a college, I think. Westmar. The but, Iowa and, State. Okay. He was a great Ooh, Ames, Iowa. Then he mm-hmm. was a wide receiver coach at Connecticut. Then off to the NFL, where he was the quarterback coach for the Packers for two years. Uh, no, wide receivers. No, I'm reading is it above or below. Good Lord. It's, reading's hard. Assistant quarterbacks coach for two years. He's the okay. assistant to the quarterback coach. Right. Then he was the quarterback coach for three years. That those would have been his far years with far right two thousand two thousand five followed him to Minnesota eventually. Yes, then he was the office coordinator for the Vikings for five seasons. So that's his first legit gig. Yes, then to Seattle for seven. Uh huh. But never as a head coach, right? He didn't. He didn't get promoted out of Minnesota. No, office coordinator in Minnesota and Seattle, then in Detroit now since twenty nineteen, and starting Sunday, the head coach. For... This, so he's never been a head coach anywhere then? No. I would have thought his number would have come up before now. And of course, it comes up in, under terrible circumstances. I don't know if he's ever really been good anywhere. That could be a problem. Otherwise, Matt Nagy didn't stop him. It did not. He got to be a head coach. Um, 
yeah, Nagy had the benefit of not putting together any sort of big body of work, which sort of seems to be the, the, the blueprint, right? Because Trubisky didn't have any kind of body of work, which some people might think, oh, that would show lack of experience. But no, Ryan Pace's galaxy brain. That just means there are surprises that can be unleashed along the way. So when I think about the Lions, um, you know, they've been bad for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, Historically long. Then where, where my mind immediately went was what one thing they have in common with the Bears is that they have, uh, although they actually topped the Bears. Um, in playoff appearances in the last 10 years? No, it's even better. Um, if, if Calvin Johnson gets, in, gets elected to the Hall of Fame this year in his first year of eligibility, the Bears and the Lions will have four of the... i got to count on the podcast again. One, two. Four of the six youngest Hall of Famers ever. Okay, like the year that they were inducted? Their age when they saying? were inducted. Gail Sayers? Gail Sayers is the youngest. 34 years um, old when he got inducted. Willie Gallimore did not get, he got his number retired, number 28. I'm sure he's not in the Hall of Fame. So he he's died in a car crash after the 63 championship. Um, Bears and Lions. So Calvin Johnson would be one of the four. He will be one of the, he'll be one of the six youngest, and the Bears and Lions will have four. Of have them. four. So say wow, Johnson. Did, oh, Sanders, right? He retired early. Barry Sanders, thirty-six years old, tied for the third youngest. Okay, and uh, the other one I would not have known, which is so the other bear. Wow. Um, holy cripes. Would it be Doug Atkins? I would not. He played with Doug. Atkins. He did? Yes. Uh, so 63 Bear? Uh, played after that. Okay. Well, it's not Doug Buffonet. No, it's not. Not a Hall of Famer. It's not Ed O'Bradovich. Uh, is it Butkus? It is Dick Butkus. Yeah, because his career was also yeah. truncated. Because of knee injuries. So the thing the Bears have going for them is that their two youngest Hall of Famers ever inducted is because of injury. The Lions, too, is they got to 30 and went, fuck it. I I do not want to play for this team anymore. I don't see see any promise ahead. (laughs) It's just not worth it. But because they had to, like, drag off the field with his – you could hear his bones rubbing Uh together. Sayers played an entire last season basically – Running yeah. like a fullback just to prove that yeah. he could still play. These guys were fit. Barry and Calvin are both prime. like, see ya. We're done. Oh, man. You guys That's suck fantastic. and you're not getting better. And we're going home. That's, that sums it up. So who are, out of curiosity, who are the other two in the top six? The other two are Jim Brown. Okay, yeah. He's the second youngest. He was 35 when he got inducted. And Sayers is the youngest. Yes. And then the so the other guy is a guy we talked about. Um, Ooh, I don't know how many weeks ago. Well, when they played, when the we Bears played, played Tennessee, we oh, talked about uh, Earl Campbell. Earl Campbell, yes. Yeah. In fact, we've talked about a lot of these guys on the on the youngest. So Sarah's the youngest, then Brown, then a three-way tie: Butkus, Campbell, and Barry Sanders, then Kellen Winslow. We've talked about him. Then Bambi. Lance Allworth. Lance Allworth. Eric Dickerson. Talked about him. OJ. Didn't talk about him, I don't believe. Yeah, no, not in any context. I don't think. Maybe we did. The Bears are all over this list. Um, (laughs) They've got two guys that tied. I don't know how many they listed here. Uh, One, two, three, four. Well, they just went up to age 39. They had two guys who were 39 when they got inducted. Do you want to take a guess? They're both... uh, of fairly recent vintage, which I guess gives it away. 
Um, so basically, to, be, to get into 39 means you had to retire at 34. Yeah, and you had to be, a, uh, and, and then you need to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. That's what I mean. It was Singletary? Yes. And one of his teammates. And, but not Hampton. Was it Dent? Nope. This is what I would was have thought, because he had a long career. No, and Hampton didn't get in right away. No. So Singletary, Hampton had to wait. Uh, long career. Uh, teammates. He was, so he was on the 85 Bears? On the 85 Bears. Did he? Oh, Covert. Did nope. Covert get in? No, he hasn't nope. gotten in, right? No, I know Dan, Tim, Pompey, Dan, Dan Pompey wants the Bears to find the next one. But... Uh, because you you could argue that Covert's career was also cut short, which is kind of one of the grounds. Uh, yeah, what the he, hell he retired in 1990, and he got and drafted, he drafted in 83, yes. 83. But he was obviously not never in. You know, so that's the combination to retire young and get in right away. Not this guy. And, um, this the last guy had a no one. Well, I mean, we wanted to see him stick around, but he had a full career. He is the greatest Chicago Bear of all time. Did I already mention Peyton? No, unless I missed. Yeah, unless I talked over because Peyton had a long career. So who the? What's the trick question in here? What am I missing? He must have retired at thirty-four. I've met. He retired at thirty-four. Retired at his number. That's why he quit. He said, I, met, I met my oh, number. I'm going because he was thirty-nine. But yeah, he had. When he got it. So he was clearly young when he. Entered the league, but it felt like he had such a long career. You're talking about Peyton, yes, right? Walter Peyton, or, but, Walter. But not, that's just a list of guys Eddie. that got into Eddie 39. Payton, Eddie Peyton didn't get in, Eddie, right? Right. But Walter and Eddie did combine for the most uh, NFL rushing yards, just like Hank and Tommy Aaron yeah. at one point combined well, for the. Walter was 21 when he broke in in 1975 and played until 1987. Retired at 34. 33. Okay. He retired okay. at 33. Yeah, but he had a long career. Well, or it's not that he had a long career. I think it's the fact that he missed so few games. He played, played a lot of games. Yes. That was still probably a longer than average career. I mean, like you know, Campbell had come and gone by that. And Peyton was still playing. Um, so it was 30, a little bit of a thirteen freak. seasons as the as you know as the lead ball carrier. So he got hit a lot. Never yeah. got hurt. And the, yeah, so, yeah. No, that so it feels like incredible. he played forever. But he was still a young man when he when he retired. Good lord, if he had Frank Gord it, he'd have yep. he'd have he'd have twenty five thousand yards. So Frank Gord probably he'd have died of liver cancer on the field. But um, right, <laughs> so Frank Gore has wormed his way into the top ten. I'm guessing, right? All time rushing yards. Yeah, well, he's got a lot. You know, I remember when we were kids. He's the Frank O'Harris uh, of our. Yeah. Generation. It was it was always it was Jim Brown number one OJ number two when we when it kind of came into focus because just like around that time when like you know Steve Carlton and Tom Seaver and Nolan Ryan were like all gearing down and being like only like the fourth fifth and sixth guys or you know never throw three thousand strikeouts Peyton and Harris were bearing down on that all time rushing mark and it felt like they'd been there together at one point Jim Taylor was like fourth <laughs> I guarantee you Jim Taylor today is probably like twenty fifth. <laughs> Um, and that list now looks totally different. Peyton's probably still in the top 10, but he's right. He's probably second or third. I mean, he's only been surpassed by Emmett, right? Emmett's the all timer, right? I don't even know anymore off the top of my head. Well, that's, um, that's but Peyton broke Jim Brown's record in 84 and then was still a 1400 yard season rusher for two more years. All right. Um, Walter is still second. Third, sixteen thousand seven twenty-six, with fifteen thousand eight hundred sixty-eight yards, and if he ever passes Walter, it's a travesty. Is Frank Gore? Is it, no way. Yes, he's the third all-time. He's like the Jamie Moyer leading rusher. Yeah. Then, then Barry, who that was the other thing. Not only did wow. he quit at thirty Barry, with a with a, one of his typical years, he would have been very close. Well, to, he would have beaten Emmett there, I'm sure, right? He yes. would have gotten oh, yeah. there before Emmett. Yeah, he would have broke. He would and have been played, the right to record. And, and if he played four or five more years, Emmett never would have caught him. No. Wow. That just, just not that we needed further pronunciation on life as a lion. So not only did he, you know, not want to play anymore healthy, he didn't even, you know, he passed up an opportunity for all time legacy. Um, Jim Brown is now eleventh. 
Wow, not even in the top ten. No, the players so ahead of him in ascending practice. order. Tony Dorsett. Eric okay, Dickerson. I didn't know. So, Dor- so Dorsett eventually passed Brown then. Interesting. Yes, by about f- 400 yards. Jesus, that's he did it. it his last year. Well, maybe his last year. I don't know. Eric Dickerson, the bus. LaDainian Thompson. Curtis Martin. And then okay. Adrian Peterson. Okay, and Peterson still can move up. Scored yeah. a couple touchdowns last week, so we're going to see him Sunday, right? He's a lion. He is a lion. Yes, Bears already already shut him down once. I'm sure. Actually, yeah, yeah he played sure. against them. He, and he just signed, like I think so. rolled in like the day before, and he ran for 93 yards against the Bears. <laughs> yeah, he had some runs in that game. He's actually looking pretty good this year. You know, kudos to him. Granted, he lost an entire season to, to an ACL. Peyton never lost, you know, more than one game, but um, he is averaging well, not bad, well 3.7 yards carry. Okay, it's not Hall of Fame level, but he doesn't need to be. He has um, so he might move that up 93 that is the most he's had by a lot, <laughs> but he gets the bare run defense again. So is that right? He's good for it's about just season high. Actually, so he had I've, he had 75 yards against the Cardinals, but it took him 22 carries to get it. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Then I just happened to look up on Thanksgiving and saw him score two touchdowns. Yeah, he scored two touchdowns. Just assumed he was. 15 for 55, Sunday, two touchdowns against the mighty Texans. Jesus. No, he's not terrible. He's not, he's not, he's not climbing up that list, but Frank Gore, what, what did you, I just, so I can keep a track. I don't think I have to worry about it because, but what is he, uh, you say 15,800 something. And I know Peyton was 16. I want to say 726. 16, 726. He, okay. So, uh, yeah, 15, 868. So he's so less than a thousand yards. Yeah, and at his current pace, if Frank plays five more years, <laughs> he'll pass. Walter. Frank Gore was in that 2002 NCAA championship, one of the few times the Big Ten prevailed. Wasn't that? Didn't he tear his leg up in that game? Or am I thinking that was Willis McGahee that did that? That's right. Okay, so but uh, still, but Frank was on that team. Could, but Willis is the one who got it. He was on that. Um, yeah, Frank last year ran okay. for 599 yards back, for the Bills. He ran for five, and he's run for 521 so far for the Jets. So I, I don't think he's going to catch Walter because I, wow, I think he's probably done. Oh, yeah, it would be a dumbass year, thing like but, the Bears you know. will sign him next year, and he'll end up breaking. The, he'll end up passing Walter as a bear. <laughs> that would be the most ridiculous self-owned by a McCaskey family that's made a legacy Actually, out of it. I, no, this is. If Nagy's still a coach, if the Bears want to make sure Gore never passes Peyton, that's what they do. They sign him. And then there's no <laughs> way. On the bench. Well, I know he can play. The way, uh, the way they run the ball and the way Nagy runs it, there's no way he'll ever get enough yards. How many yards did uh, Emmett finish with? Eight, and that's a good point. I just left it. 18 he really blew the door, just like Peyton blew the doors off so, of Brown's record. Never say never, but I don't think anybody's ever going to pass Emmett. No. Because they just they don't run the ball enough anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and there's Ryan nobody Ryan other than play. Frank and APE. And I know his initials are AP, but he thinks his nickname's AD. Um, the, the next active player is Mark Ingram of the Ravens, although they have Marshawn Jesus, Bold. Just, I don't think Marshawn is on a team right now. Um, where does he rank, Marshawn? Lynch is the 29th all-time leading rusher, in between Eddie George and Otis Anderson. Uh, but the, the, the real active one is Mark Ingram. He is 61st all-time um, behind Leroy Kelly and George Rogers. And he has 7,257 yards. Marshall. So, you know, he just needs 11,000 more, and then he'll catch him. Yeah. Man. <laughs> there are a lot of. Well, kudos to Emmett. Re- you know, reluctantly. Obviously, I wasn't happy to see anybody break Sweetness's record. Yeah. I was glad it wasn't. 
Barry, just because Barry's a lion. Although I always liked Barry more than Emmett, because Emmett always yeah, seemed like I, kind of a. I did know. too. Well, and I, I have always had somewhat of an aversion to cowboy. I hated Tony Dorsett too. Yeah, I think it was a cowboys thing, a sort of that sort of pretty boy thing where they were, they were all really good. And uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Uh, so the other thing I thought would be fun because uh, I was thinking about the lions and thinking about um, the Bears' lot in life stuck with uh, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be fun to look at the first-round draft picks of the greatest general manager in Detroit Lions history, Matt Millen. Uh-huh. I just want, before you get started, I, I'm no expert. I'm really a dumbass. So you know, But I remember the day the Lions hired Matt Millen – and the Bears themselves are sort of in that late Juan stat, early Jerron malaise. And so we didn't really have that much to get excited about. But still, um, I remember the day he got hired and he was like he was like John Madden light. Right. He was the the personality in the broadcast booth. Um, you know, one of the top guys. I knew he was a dumbass. Yeah. And when he got hired, I just remember thinking that, OK, if the Bears can kind of get their shit straight that's one team they're not going to have to worry about for the next four or five years. And even then, I did not think how you know how beyond accurate my uh, prediction would be because they they were actually probably even more laughable with Millen. So carry on. So he was there for eight drafts. Didn't he draft a wide receiver like nine years in a row in the first round? <laughs> Half of his first round picks are wide receivers. Objectively, he had one. One excellent pick, one good pick, and six god awful. Holy shit! How did you, how did you do it? Yeah. Um, his one good pick was his first pick. Um, the Penn State man took an offensive tackle from Michigan named Jeff Backus. Oh yeah, he had a good career. Yeah, Backus played twelve okay. years, um, played one hundred eighty six games in a row. He wasn't wow. great, but he was good. He was a dependable tackle, and those are actually worth it. And he was the 18th pick in the draft, so that's an excellent pick. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. <laughs> so he's off to a Got great off start. To a good start. Uh-huh. Then, 2002, it's time to get your quarterback. So oh, Joey Harrington. Joey Harrington. Yeah. The great Joey Harrington. Mr. Pianist. He was a pianist, all right. <laughs> And then I know that 03 was uh, another it was a Michigan State pick uh, moment of silence for Charles Rogers, right? Is that his top, top pick in 03? Because I think that's what began his run. He drafted a wide receiver like three or four <laughs> years in a row. Okay, this is funny. The the site I'm looking at is it's a must be a Detroit radio station. Oh, it's East Lansing radio station, and it's where are they now? And so. Uh, <laughs> Although this is a little old, but this still applies. Well, it doesn't apply to Charles anymore because he's dead. (laughs) But at the time, here's what they wrote. Charles Rogers, he was the second overall pick in the draft. Uh Uh Uh-huh. He played how many NFL seasons do you think Charles Rogers played? Uh, No more than three. Three. Right on the, yeah, Uh three. He had a big first game, too, in Arizona. Him and Anquan Bolden got off to a good start. But anyway. He scored four career touchdowns. And then the, the third bullet, and most of these have five or six bullets, but Charles only gets three, was currently in legal trouble. <laughs> oh, no, not anymore. He got out of it. by <sighs> He did. <laughs> by perishing. Um, so in 2002, the first pick was David Carr. Second pick was Julius Peppers. Went to, obviously, to the Panthers. Then Joey went. Um, then we had Mike Williams, the tackle, Quentin Jammer, Ryan Sims, Bryant McKinney. The Bears were won the playoffs the year before, so their Mark Colombo pick didn't happen to the bottom of that for that round. Yes, 29th overall. Right. So, I mean, Charles or uh, Joey Harrington was not a good pick, but uh, there wasn't a lot to pick there. No, um, so. You kind of give him a dress, but that doesn't explain then. Um, well, then he goes. Well, let's look at 2003. And he got drafted after Rogers. Should have cued. And that would have been uh, Michael Haynes and Rex Grossman were first round picks for the Bears that year. So I mean, Grossman, say what you want. He had a better career than Rogers. So that's one that was better. That's the only Rogers he had a better career than. 
Um, uh, picked after maybe. after Charles Rogers in 03. Andre Johnson to Houston. Great, great, great player so for a while. Didn't, didn't even play long. Lions didn't even get the around. best wide receiver in the draft, picking second. That's right. That's how. Uh huh. Uh, Dwayne Robertson to the Jets. Terrence Newman to the uh, Cowboys, who played forever. And uh, somebody named Jonathan Sullivan, defensive tackle. Byron Leftwich. Sully. Okay. Um, wow. Leftwich was the 03 draft. Yeah. Terrell Suggs went 10th. Then uh-huh. that's who the career. Bears wanted. Um, and they, I think they Why were. Why did they take him? They settled for Michael Haynes? Yes. They're. Um, they wanted to pair Rex. The poor man's and They thought they were going to get Rex and Suggs. Instead, they got um, they got Haynes and Suggs. Anyway, yeah, well, they didn't they didn't pass on Suggs though. No, they thought they were going to get him. That's who they were going to pick. Uh-huh. Still playing. Well, they, the Bears sucked in O two. So, which one of those? One of the, what was the first pick? Haynes was fourteenth. He was the fourteenth. Uh-huh. Th- four picks after. Okay. That's a pretty bad pick, though. Yeah, it's a terrible pick. Let's see who they could have had. Who got drafted right behind them? Who drafted after Michael Haynes besides Grossman, oh, who was obviously was, the best Was this pick. guy any good? I don't remember. Troy Polamalu? Was he any good? Oh, boy. Two picks oh, after. Fucking Steelers. And then uh, the aforementioned, he's, he's, the aforementioned he Willis McGahee went after Rex. Dallas Clark. With a bum knee and all. Yeah. If McGahee hadn't blown out his knee, right? He, that was 03 draft. Oh, Wani would have taken him. It was just the wrong Right. It's just the right. wrong, Pat Riley, the the wrong Pat guy Riley in charge. Right? Taking him. And I didn't remember this. Uh, did, did you know that the Chargers with the 30th pick, they drafted Sammy Davis? <laughs> didn't, hey, didn't know baby. He played football. Hey. One eye and little. I mean, that's, that's kind of a reach at 30. But right, bow tie. Hell, has some good pipes though. Kid can sing. All right, so back to the uh, back to the Lions. So they've taken Charles Rogers in two thousand three, two thousand four. He got the seventh pick. You don't need a wide receiver, do you? Well, you always need two. So yeah. former Bear Roy, what? Roy Williams, yeah, future Bear, which which actually which actually emerges into this like fiery ball of white hot anger. Roy Williams was one moment with the Bears, um, in the twenty-two that 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 stretch of games during the Caleb Hay- after you know, we talked about the Bears in twenty eleven, were like seven and two cruising, they knock off Rivers in San Diego, at the um, uh, you know in, in Soldier Field you know they'd gone to the title game the year before but Cutler happened to have got injured in that game out for the rest of the year, but they still had some real weak teams that they got to play. They couldn't beat any of them, but the, the one that, that will just haunt me. And whenever I hear Roy Williams's name, I just, like I said, I just turn in, I just, this is white, hot, furious anger. It was a game against the chiefs, real frustrating game. The bears office wasn't doing anything. Chiefs start the laughably inept Tyler Palco. He can't do anything. And then they bring in Kyle Orton, former bear off, you know, off the bench right before halftime. Mm-hmm. And Orton proceeds to like throw a pass and, and, and hit his hand in somebody's helmet and have to come right back out of the game. And but somehow the Chiefs get a Hail Mary right before halftime. And the Bears just can't get out of their way, own way on offense. But they finally, like in the third quarter, you know, it's still a close game. It's just a real crappy game. Bears were the super. Your team within the five yard line, right? Oh, what the score be? It was a one score game. It was like ten to three or whatever. And this is the one year that Roy Williams is on the Bears. He didn't do a goddamn thing. And throws a pass to him right at the goal line, and he's open. And it's not a bad pass. He should catch it. And not only does he not catch it, but he manages to sort of knock it up in the air. And, uh, and allows a, a Chiefs defender to grab on it and fall down in the end zone for a touchback. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, and the, you know, I have lots of uh, examples of irrational anger. But really, the Bears just, you know, win one of those games, you know, uh, you know, in hope that Cutler can come back. They fell out of it so quickly, it didn't even matter. But that was a game right there, and that was a moment. Went right there. Williams, if you do one thing the entire season, catch the damn ball. Not only does he not do it, but he turns it into a turnover. So oh, that rants over. Let's go back to the fact that the Lions drafted that schmuck in 2004. For the second straight year, they drafted a receiver. 
Um, <clears throat> and the next year, they drafted one again, right? Yep. So the 2004 draft, uh, pretty good. Eli Manning, Robert Gallery, not so good. Then Larry Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. Philip Rivers, Sean Taylor, rest in peace. Kellen Winslow Jr. in prison. Uh, then Roy. Then D'Angelo Hall, Jay Cutler's buddy. Threw three interceptions to him in a game once. Ben Roethlisberger was in that first round. I remember that. The uh, Bears. That's a, that's a the, good draft, man. The Bears made a short-term investment. 2004, in that, was, uh, and it, that was Tommy Harris. Tommy Harris, and it paid off almost perfectly. He got hurt one year too soon, you know, a few few weeks too soon. Yep, yep. Everybody knew he was a great player with terrible great knees. Player. And the Bears basically said, it's the NFL. You're lucky to get five years out of a guy. Let's take the best guy. And he was objectively... It wasn't a, actually a bad strategy. He was, he was, fanta- he was like a top help. five talent drafted 14th, but with the knowledge that he wasn't going to have a long career. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was actually a very nice pick. Yeah. Kudos. Yeah. To uh, Jerry that's a Angelo. Hell of, yeah, for one, Jerry Angelo. That's a hell of a draft overall. Yes. And even then, the Lions underwhelmed. Yeah, they managed to botch it, which is fine. Uh, yeah, so in 2005, okay, take a wide receiver the last two years. Certainly, you're not going to take <laughs> anymore. I love the bullets under this. <laughs> so they drafted Mike the, Williams, the tight end sized wide receiver from USC, 10th overall. The bullets under this are two years with the Lions, five career NFL touchdowns, and then the third bullet released from the Toronto Argonauts in 2013. He had a pretty long career up there. Well, I hardly I, remember Mike Williams. I don't know that he actually. Uh, I knew it was a receiver. I know, but at one point I knew that because I knew they drafted a wide receiver in the first three years. Obviously, I wouldn't be able to name them all because I'd forgotten that Mike, you know. Wow. And so was Millen still the GM for the next draft before? Yes. Oh yeah, for uh yeah, he gets he keeps going here for a while. So that draft, the that was Alex Smith in the number one. Um then some slappy went twenty fourth to the Packers that year. I d I don't even remember who it was. We're talking the two thousand two thousand five. Who was that? The slappy quarterback who went to the Packers at 24? I think you've heard of him. He's still there. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it cut, it cut out for a second. Yeah, 2005. Got it. Uh, the other, the top five that year, Alex Smith, Ronnie Brown to the Dolphins, Braylon Edwards <laughs> to the – or yeah, Ronnie Brown to the Dolphins, Braylon Edwards to the Browns, Cedric Benson to the Bears – Cadillac Williams to Tampa. To the Browns. Yep. Uh, oh, that's right. There really was a whole lot of uh, Pac-Man went sixth to Tennessee. Uh, so then it gets better. Of course, for the Lions, it gets better right after. The best part of the draft is right after Mike Williams. Dallas took to Marcus Ware. Um, the Chargers uh-huh. took Sean Merriman. Whose last college game was against... Okay. And then, uh, like, Thomas Davis to the Panthers. DeMarc... Yeah. By the way, DeMarcus, is where, DeMarcus Ware's last college game was against NIU. Oh, it's Troy? Oh, God, what bowl game, oh, God, what game was that? Yep. That was like the... Uh, Oh, I can't remember now. It was the first one that NAU finally broke through. You know, I remember they had those, those some good teams for a while, but kept losing to Toledo and couldn't get into a ball. And they finally did an old. I mean, they won the bowl game, and Demarcus Ware was on Troy. It was a. I can't even remember. Was it the Independence Bowl? Yeah, probably or was it one the, of the newfangled uh, ones? Probably this. California almond was the blue bottle. Bowl. <laughs> it was the Silicon the Valley Bowl. That's what it was. Okay, well, there you go. Of course, who would forget? Didn't you go? Where? I, where'd you sit? <laughs> I was right over. I was on the. I was on the thirty yard line. 
surely you know people that went to um, the Orange Bowl in uh, in twenty. What was it? I guess it'd be twenty thirteen, twenty twelve. I think. You know, I don't think I do. I don't think I, I know, know a few people who made it down there. I mean, I know people who work at Northern who went, but I don't know just like you know, yeah, alums. Yeah, you know, there were. You know, it was a once in a life. I was in Michigan, or I would if I was here, I would have gone. I mean, because that? we're that much closer to Florida. <laughs> Honestly, yes. Like it was, you couldn't get, you can't get to anywhere from Traverse City, and so fuck it. I just watched it on TV. Well, right, you're three hours in Michigan, regardless of what direction you go. Well, I mean, you fly down, and you have to fly out. You have to always connect, and then I just didn't. I just you could Cheryl Ford. You could go to Grand Rapids. <laughs> Even that's a couple hours though from there. And you won that game, thirty-four twenty-one. So ha, screw. Uh, oh, I, yeah, Screw against to Marcus Troy, right? Blair. Yeah, that was right. great. Garrett Wolf. Okay, future bear. Future bear. All right. That's there's, what a, there's a there's a memorable there's a memorable draft pick from two actually would have been from two thousand seven draft the year after the Super Bowl. Okay, so in 06, Millen they finally tell him you can't you can't draft a wide receiver. You're fired if you do it. So he says, "Fine, that's ridiculous. We don't need to draft wide receivers for a long time." We're set. I'm going with Ernie Sims from Florida State, outside linebacker. He played three years with the Lions. Jesus. One of the, one of the bullets under it was co-captain of the 2008 0-16 team. There's a feather in his cap. Yep. Uh, he got traded to the Eagles in 2010. And then in 2007, he made Calvin. his one great pick. Yes. it was. So, that was, so Calvin was still a Matt Millen pick then, huh? He was. And Matt made one more draft after that. It's like it's like a gambler that's just chasing his losses. Well, he had I, gotta, go, I gotta get another receiver. The, the Lions wouldn't fire him until he went zero and sixteen. That so. was that was fun. <laughs> wow. So, so his last yeah. So Calvin Johnson, two thousand seven, um, one of the greatest wide receivers in NFL history. Yep. Should not have you should. It's here objectively. It's a bad pick. The reason it's a bad pick is because. In the last four years, you drafted three wide receivers. You shouldn't have had room for him, but because they were all terrible. Huh? Actually, Roy right. was still on the team. The other two were, you know, gone basically. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it's like, fine, we can justify it again because we still haven't fixed it. Um, <laughs> terrible. And then his last well, pick, I, I, offensive tackle, Gosder Cherilus. And how many years was he in the league or with the Lions? Because what what astonishes me, and I'm sure. It's not a whole lot better for the Bears, but how many of these first round picks were gone in three years? I yeah, mean, yeah, Troy Harrington four years, Charles three, Roy Williams five before he got traded to the Cowboys. Yeah, um, he actually had some value. Ernie Sims three, then Calvin played ten years, and um, Mike Williams three. Yeah, yeah, it was. Not only did they fail, oh. they failed spectacularly and fast. Well, that, that's like a, that's like a business of... school thing. You're supposed to fail fast, right? So you right, don't right. lose an, that does that does not work with draft picks. Well, uh, here's my question: Did they have like uh, diamonds in the rough later? Because like Jerry Angelo did, he struggled first round picks, but he also drafted Tillman and Briggs. You know, in, in later rounds, and same with frankly Ryan Pace, where he's picked up some guys in the later rounds. I mean, did Millen even like stumble ass backwards into like a third round pick that oh, worked I'm sure, out? I'm sure. Even I mean, if you if you you could. Close your eyes and throw darts at a dartboard, and yeah. you're going to hit somebody once in a while. The the thing about the yeah. late round picks, like okay, now, yes, Jerry was good at it. Jerry. I don't want actually. I don't know if he was good at it. What it says to me is you don't know how to set up a draft board, unless you are. He's the exception to everything. Bill Belichick, because Belichick is actively targeting those late round guys and trading picks to get extra ones because he's going to, he mm-hmm. wants his, the, for the, the longest time, their whole strategy with building a roster was, well, first they got lucky. They had the cheap quarterback, which is the dream. But yep. then you get to a point where, okay, we have a great quarterback. We have to pay him. And we're going to bring in yep. guys on one or two year free agent deals. Cause they don't, they don't sign long free agent deals with anybody. And the reason we're able to afford yep. a few top-heavy guys is we're going to have all these league minimum guys who actually play for us, who aren't just special teamers, but are yep. like like half our defense is going to be guys who we picked in the fourth round or later, who are good players, who we're going to let go when they get expensive. They're going to go play for some else because we're going to bring in another, you know, a group behind them. I mean, 
that looks good on paper, but you still got to keep hitting with these yes. guys, which I think part it helps to have also like a winning culture, but to get that off the ground, I think, where then you can bring in like free agents that, you know, might take, you know, LeGarrette Blount, like all through the years, they had you know, Randy Moss at the end of his career. Um, I mean, so I, many, yeah. I think the biggest difference between guys like, well, guys like Belichick and the other guys who've, who've stuck around for a long time, like future bear coach Jim Harbaugh's brother, John. Um, He's still there, isn't he? Yes. What they and Mike Tomlin, what they seem to have is like the, yeah. their culture. Although Tomlin drives me crazy with his, the standard is the standard. And you didn't say right, anything. That sentence doesn't mean anything. No ar- I know, I know, but there's no arguing like you stay with the year in and year out success of all three of those teams. They, they all, the thing they seem to have in common is they they know how they want to play, and so they can look for certain traits at certain positions, and if a player they think has those then a late-round pick for them seems like a guy like, this guy thinks actually going to fit. And if he, yeah. doesn't, if he doesn't, what did we invest? Nothing. Where Ryan Pace's whole thing seems to be, as the, you know, especially when we get to the middle of the draft, is, all right, who's the smallest guy I can draft? Because that, to me, is fun. <laughs> well, I want a, a five-foot-three-inch dra- running back, and then I want, hey, how, how about I trade up, and let's get a five-foot-six-inch wide receiver. Yeah, it's like, right. That's the other thing. Well, and you're the one that, that that brings us up. And I was thinking about it tonight, just listening to the score, and how infuriating, like how little regard he has for actual draft picks, right? Let alone, you know, like, right. leaving alone the fact that he obviously swung and missed on Mitch, but like you know, even the Mac deal um, doesn't look so great now. And 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 so the short term gain of of getting Mac, uh, the cost. Most of that was first round picks they didn't have, right? Uh, when they, all the guys like David Montgomery, like he's trading picks to get them. He's just burning draft picks. And Belichick's philosophy, as you explain it, is, is basically the opposite. You know, there's a lot of value in those, and I'm not just going to throw them out willy nilly. Right. Pace trades multiple picks to get a pick. Belichick p- trades yeah, a pick to right. get multiple picks. They are the exact opposite. And they've, or he and trades, a, a, play, or he trades a player. And they've traded with each other because of that. Because I'm sure Belichick's like, all right, who are the, who are the irrational short-term thinker GMs? <laughs> Those are the guys I want to call on draft day because I can swindle them out of a couple of picks. And, yeah. and it's not even – the guys he picked – the guys that he has traded up for have not been worth it. Correct. Or the ones that have been worth it, they didn't need to trade up for. Like to me, it's 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 the height of ridiculousness that they traded an extra pick for the chance to draft David Montgomery in the third round. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that is the epitome of a fungible replacement level running back. He's fine. he really is, and having having but, watched him for two years, yeah. But how could you sit there and go, "Oh my God, if David Montgomery doesn't fall to us, I'm gonna die." The, the right. dumbest, I mean, the he, dumbest trade in NFL history was him trading from three to two to get Mitch in a draft that had even if he even if if you were deluded enough to think Mitch was good, then you thought there were three good quarterbacks. So you're sitting at mm-hmm. three, no matter what happens, you're getting one of them. You don't have to mm-hmm. budge at all. In fact, a savvy GM would have been able to go the other way a few picks. But he had no concept. He was sure that somebody was trying to trade up to yeah. two to steal Mitch from him. Oh, God, I wish somebody had. But nobody else is that dumb. So nobody was going to do that. So at least Matt Millen had the, had the decency to sit exactly where his pick was and then screw it up. He, <laughs> he drafted like a man. I have the eighth pick. I'm going to pick eighth. And I'm just going to take the biggest heavy-legged wide receiver I can find. That's going to be great. You got to appreciate a man yep. with a strategy. <laughs> okay, so we were um, we were talking about uh, for a brief moment about the great Daryl Bevel, and that brings to mind great interim Detroit Lions coaches in history. And I think we both have the the same favorite one. Uh, the year there was, are more than a few, aren't there? Yes, but the, the year was 2000. Okay. <laughs> Bobby Ross was coaching the Lions. And uh-huh. about the middle of the season, his team put up an effort that Bobby really didn't like. So Bobby quit. <laughs> yep. He said, screw it. I'm out of here. Go away. Later he on, he said, I had blood clots in my legs. 
Uh, that must have been about the time when his lawyer told right. him, if you'd like now, to get paid for the rest of your contract, you can't just have quit. You, right, you left right, right. for health reasons. So, Bob, so Bobby Ross, just just to fill in the backstory real quick, he took the Chargers to the Super Bowl in 1994, did he not? He did. And but then prior to that, did he not win like a partial national championship with Georgia Tech? One of those there's one of those years where and I could be wrong, like 1990, I think he was at Georgia Tech, and maybe not, maybe there's nothing to do with the national championship. It was. But he, you know, he was. 1990, they were co-champs. Colorado. Okay. Which, had they not called the hold on the Rocket Ismail's yep. return, would have meant that he would have been uh, the undisputed, the Georgia Tech would have been the undisputed national right. champion that season. So he takes uh, the Chargers of the Super because I remember – they came to Chicago in late 97, the Chargers did, and the Bears kind of knocked them out of the playoffs. And I remember it was kind of like thinking that well, that's pretty much the end of the Bobby Ross era uh, for San Diego. But then he comes back. So he was actually not a bad coach because well, – I mean, we, How hard is it to coach a team to the Super Bowl with Stan Humphreys as your quarterback? I mean, well, right, when you got talent right? like that, how can, how can you then, fail? But then even with the Lions, he must have been the guy that immediately succeeded Wayne Font. So, I mean, he, yes, he was. The the mid ninety the nineties was actually uh, I mean it was halcyon days for Detroit fans I think because they they must have made the playoffs like three four times they even won a playoff game in one of those years in ninety one but Ross took them to the playoffs I want to say a couple times ninety seven probably um, and maybe ninety nine and so he probably had one of the highest degrees of success as a Lions coach and like you say uh, halfway through two thousand he had seen enough and he gets out of there. Right, he quit after so, after a loss to the Dolphins. He said, "I'm gone. Go away." <laughs> so so far, three guys on this podcast we've talked about have all at some point looked at the Lions and went, uh, <laughs> "Right, this isn't worth well, it. I'm going." Right, like while they were like in, in the rare position yes. of succeeding with it's a set, all shocking set franchise, all two shocking retirements <laughs> and a quitting. Every time <laughs> I'm seeing a theme here. Yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, there's a guy, speaking of college coaches, that was given the gift of a plum gig uh, simply after having served as the right-hand man to the legendary Bo Schembechler in Michigan by the name of Gary Moeller. And Moeller, they, they, at one point, I think in 1993, um, in a restaurant in Ann Arbor, Gary Moeller got shit-faced and caused an absolute public spectacle and that cost him the said plum job with Michigan. And you'd think it might have been the end of his career, but it wasn't because he resurfaced and found himself in the fortuitous position of inheriting a, a decent Lions team whose coach Bobby Ross had inexplicably just walked away from. Yes, the way, um, right. the way Wikipedia explains it. Moeller, and we, when he was coaching at Michigan, Moeller resigned in May of 1995 after tapes were released. Sorry, 95. Of his awful. alleged drunken outburst following an arrest on a charge of disorderly conduct at the now defunct Excalibur restaurant in Southfield, Michigan on April 28th. Southfield, all right, Detroit suburbs. He was succeeded by Lloyd Carr, who had assisted him at both Illinois and Michigan. Uh huh. And Carr took him to a title in 97. Yes. So, well, another one of those half things. That's right. They split that with who? Was it Washington State? Nebraska. No. Oh, that's right. That's it was kind right. of a gift for the Husbands. It was a going Lawrence. away present for Tom Osborne. And I didn't care because I don't like Michigan, but Michigan was the best team in the. And Nebraska did win by like eight touchdowns in their bowl game. Yeah. So they made it hard. That, yeah. That was back in the days when the bowl games had nothing to do with rankings and teams could win. I know. It up. Um, I just remember that because I spent New Year's Eve in Vegas in 97 and came home with that ticket. And I was able to mail it back to the Stardust for my check. One of the uh, – so the, his three years at Illinois were uh, spectacular for uh, Gary Moeller. Uh, uh-huh. He had one of my favorite coaching records of all time. In his second season, 1978, Illinois had one win, eight losses, and two ties. How many teams tie twice? But then the next uh-huh. year, they were much better. They had two wins, eight losses, and one tie. Oh, so he coached okay. 33 games at Illinois, and he, he managed to wrestle three of them to a tie. Congratulations. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he, he was around a long time because he preceded Mike White then. Okay. 
I I kind of forgot that Moeller was an Illinois coach. Yeah, he had a little more a little more success at Michigan, where he went nine and three, ten and two. Holy shit, nine zero oh, and three. See, in nineteen ninety, he was actually, he was doing things in ninety two. That's okay. Wow. So the guy coached eight seasons in college and had six ties. How? It's unheard of. I mean, it's, well, I mean, they didn't have overtime till about twenty. I know, but years come on. Ago. I mean, you clearly you can't. It can't be an accident. At some point, you're playing for a tie. He went to nine zero and three. They and they finished the year ranked fifth. Three, yeah, three ties three in nineteen ninety. In nineteen ninety two, it just seems really. Uh, I'll grant it. So, um, yes, of the I got to pull this list up of the last. The the uh, Lions have had, this is no surprise, the Lions have had a lot of coaches. Daryl Bevel is the 28th coach. I'm, I, I'm, more, obs- I'm more obsessed right now with their interim coaches because that's kind of a rarity in the NFL. And we've just mentioned uh, Bevel is already, was that just the second one that we've mentioned? But there's probably one or two more if you shake it out in our, in our lifetime. Maybe not. Maybe not. But how many did you say in their history? Well, I was going to say they have 28 total. We'll look at the interims here in a second. But of the last 16 men to coach the Lions, how many of them do you think survived with a winning record? Well, Bobby. And Bobby I, I did bet you. not. Bobby was. Oh, you're right. I'm looking oh. at the wrong count. Oh, shit. I better recount this then. No. Okay. No, no, no. Bobby, 27 and 30. I was right. Wow. Okay. I don't think. I'm gonna. Th- I don't think this is the answer, but I just it's the next logical one would be Wayne Fonts, right? Um, Wayne, nope, sixty six and sixty seven. He hung on oh, one game too long. It. Yes, uh, was one of them Gary Moeller? Gary Moeller is one of them. <laughs> what was he? Five and four or four? He and was three? four and three. <laughs> and so he would have been five. Second and two. winning as coach in Lions history. No. He would have been five and two had like R.W. McCorders and Paul Edinger not conspired to knock them out of the playoffs in the last game of the 2000 season, and they would have made the playoffs. Okay. Um, so, so, I, so of the last sixteen, oh, oh, Jim Jim Caldwell yes. was he over five hundred? Yes, he wow. was thirty six and twenty eight. Oh, that's much too good for Detroit. You cannot stay, sir. Got fired. Got replaced by a guy who went thirteen twenty eight and one. And that's the guy. That was Patricia. Patricia. Yes. Yeah. So of the last yeah. six, Daryl, well, actually, actually the last 15, because Daryl hasn't coached a game yet, but I'm confident he's not going to join the list. Uh, two of them <laughs> winning records. <laughs> Holy crap. I mean, I, as much as I loved um, Tommy Hudspeth and Rick Forzano and Daryl Rogers. Uh, Daryl Rogers. <laughs> Harry Gilmer. Yeah. Do you have a, uh, a Daryl Rogers memory? Because the first thing that springs to my mind is that supposedly he once bent over on the sidelines and ripped his pants. I'm not making that up. <laughs> I'm sure he did. I'm sure if you Google, I'm sure if you Google, and it's Daryl with a Y, kids. If you want to look that one up, um, I'm pretty sure he split his pants on the sidelines. Okay, so interim coaches in Lions history. Um, one of them uh, is a uh, former Bear Coach of the Year. Oh. Geron. Dick Sorry, Geron, my, he had to clean up Edel, after they fired the mooch in yeah, was, 2005. That was my, my Edo uh impression. Dick went okay. one four for the Lions. That was it. He didn't get a – because uh, okay. Because I think Dick Geron may have been an interim coach twice because I thought he interrupted his way into Buffalo and got to stick around for a couple of years. He, he Malfatano'd it, got to keep the job for them. So, but he only had the five games of the Lions. Yep, just five. Geron. Um, okay. So Dick was a interim. Gary Moeller was an interim. Um, wow. That's three. We've never had an interim coach, have we? No, the Bears stick with him to the – maybe this year. Be nice. <laughs> bitter on. I think it's going to happen. Could happen. If they, if, they lose, if they lose Sunday to an interim coach, who knows? It looks like that's it. Although I, okay, I could be wrong. Because what I can't tell from this is if they were an interim and they stuck around – you know, for another season, then it's lost to me. In fact, had had Jerron continued to coach like I thought he did, then we wouldn't have known. Yeah, I mean, 
Well, I guess are they interim then in that case? If they continue on, they were at one they time. Are. They had You're the interim just for the rest of that year, and then you get the full time job. The, it's such a rare thing. It's much more common in baseball. Oh yeah, it happens all just the time. because there's so so many more time, so many more games. It's so much more because the football season. It's like well, at some point, if you've lost the season, you're not going to be able to gain it back. The, the Cubs were always famous for this. They would fire the manager, and then they'd have to have an interim for just a few days. While they went yeah. out and hired the new guy. It's like, you really, you couldn't have just lined well, this up. Otherwise, John Vukovic would have never got to manage again. Wasn't he interim twice for the Cubs? John Vukovic was interim in 86 after Dallas Green fired Fry. And then I want to say that Vukovic um, may have also, I don't know if Gene Michael finished the season in 87. I think he did. No, he didn't, but he was replaced by Frank Lucchesi. Which is more of a, which is more of a kind of a, an odd, kind of a hilarious interim because Frank Lucchesi was in no way going to be the manager the next year. He was like a scouting guy that Green pulled up. He had been a manager in the seventies and famously got the shit kicked out of him by his player Lenny Randall, future Cub <laughs> in spring training. Uh, and then in eighty, when Lee, when Lee Ely got canned in eighty three, you know he had his tirade in May, but then the Bear, the Cubs did rally, but then they sort of petered out in late August and he got fired. And Charlie Fox came out yep. man team. And Charlie, uh, for the, Charlie went 17 and 22. They should have kept it. That, that team was a little bit on the rise as the following year would follow, but there was no way Charlie was in their plans when, when Dallas hadn't imported up. all of his Phillies yet. So not, he hadn't, yeah, he had gotten a few. He had some I mean, of them. Brewster was there. Yeah. Moreland was there. You know, uh, Dickie Knowles was still, you know, around, but, um, uh, my favorite thing about interim coaches is, is that, and we can, if we ever do a Cubs thing, I, I'll do a deep dive on how the last days of the Tribune Company, 1979, er, er, Herman Franks, who just is one of the reasons I became a Cubs fan because I was enraptured by this pot belly <laughs> kicking dirt on an umpire man. I just, the histrionics were hilarious. And they had a decent team. They finished 80 82. But Franks walked away with like two weeks left in the season. So they elevated third base coach Joey Omalfitano to be the manager. So season's over. Bob Kennedy, the general manager, uh, former catcher Terry's father, goes in and he hires. Um, Preston Gomez, who had been a one or two time manager in the American and National League in the 70s. Preston Gomez was so bad in his first season that he got fired like three, like four months into it. I mean, imagine how bad you have. The 1980 Cubs, I think they lost 98 games. Um, and so a first-year manager not surviving that first year is, is quite a statement. So they did the same thing they did before because they had a lot of the same staff. I'm off at in retrospect, the Wrigley family was pretty much done with the team. Going into the 81 season, they're just like, let Joey keep managing the team. So he was actually their manager. For It never felt like he was any more than interim manager, but the expectations were so low for the Cubs by 1981 that they just let him, let him manage a whole other strike-shortened season. So, <laughs> so yeah, as, as a Cubs fan, we're familiar with interim yes. coaches, um, so we can relate to Mike the Quaddy. Lions. <laughs> they did it three times. Yeah, Mike Quaddy is the perfect example of the interim that you don't keep, no matter what his record is. To you, no other phrase. Who? Mike Quaddy. Was he an interim manager that for Lou? Yeah, because that's when, when Lou went home. That's when Lou decided. And that's when the players decided, hey, let's keep Mike yeah. around. And then they were right. done with him in like April. So the year. Cubs even did that twice, which is like the same thing, right? That the tribute company it was almost, very, I never thought out what a pair was. And they, yeah, just like that guy We're really kind of detached from everything because we're getting out of here soon. That's a good call. I'll have to sort of re register that fact that Quaddy was originally an interim manager. Yeah, Lou just wanted to go float in the pool. He was done. I'm going to go home and float in the pool. So uh, after Gary, oh, he even says here that <laughs> Moeller finished with a 4-3 and three record as head coach, making him the only Lions coach since Joe Schmidt to post a winning record during his tenure. <laughs> That's Moeller has since been coach. joined by Jim Caldwell. <laughs> right. He, That's uh, quite he, he had two jobs after he left the Lions. He was a defensive coordinator in Jacksonville. And do you remember where he coached his final two seasons? No, but I do vaguely remember seeing him on the sidelines, and it might have been with Jacksonville. So yeah, enlighten me. He was a the linebacker coach for the Chicago Bears. Oh my god! And was that was that with Jaron? Two thousand two and two thousand three. Oh, I blocked that out, man. Huh. Interesting. So the great. I, I you know I think somewhere in the recesses of my mind I have a vague recollection now that you mention it. Uh, of Moeller, but you know, the first thing I think of is being enraged, drunk, and I hadn't even realized like what a good thing he had. He was doing well with Michigan, but his 
drinking got in the way. I remember that, and I just remember he nearly took a moribund Lions team. Not moribund, they were decent after Ross, but he almost took them to the playoffs until the Bears, who had no incentive, um, knocked them out. And Edinger was a rookie, and he boomed like a 51-yarder or something hey, to when knock you, him out. When you get the chance to hire Marty Morningwig, there is no <laughs> way you're going to let, the, let somebody like Gary Moeller stand in the way. He's got to go. So, Marty, we're going to play we, Marty Ball. Uh, are we out of time? Because I just want to make I just wanted to do a quick one last thing on Marty Morning because the last time <laughs> there's, there's always we time talked about the for Marty. Uh, we only anyway. talked about we only talked about one game last time, and we haven't talked about any today, so that's fine. You know, we do this next year. We got plenty if we, if we want to, but there's so much material otherwise. But the game I talked to everybody will remember. I'm sure Lions fans is the first thing they think about is the, is the year the Bears are in Champagne and the and, and they, they they battled the Lions to overtime, and Marty Morning we famously uh, elected to kick uh, with. The, with the idea that the wind would be in the Bears' face, which he got mocked for, but I always contended. Well, I remember watching that game. There was a point in that drive where Morning we had a chance to basically confirm the basis of his decision, and he sort of chickened out. And what happened was, all right, so because what happened after we talked about it, I didn't have all my facts straight, so I, I looked at the game, and it was even more astounding than I remembered. So in this otherwise meaningless game in the 2002 season in Champaign when the Bears were temporarily out, out of Soldier Field, uh, they were in overtime. The, the Bears, uh, the Lions win the toss. They elect to kick. And the reason was because it was a very windy day. It was late November. Down in the cornfields, it's like it's probably even worse than it is at the end. From their own 49, Milton converts and gets a first down to Marty Booker. So it's like, oh, yeah, Marty, Marty Morning was an idiot. Because now the Bears are across mid. Detroit 37, Leon Johnson 8. Incomplete, intended for Stanley Pritchett. Um, third and 8. Jim Miller at the 35, right? So you're kind of in what would normally be considered field goal range, 52-yarder, but you're on. The wind's going to be in your face. Jim Miller pass incomplete, intended for Dustin Lyman. Penalty on Mike Andy offense. Morningwig takes the penalty rather yep. than force the Bears into a fourth and eight, which they could try that 52-yarder, but there's the wind, or they can try to convert a first down on a fourth and eight. He takes the penalty, giving the Bears a third and 18. And on the third and 18, Miller completes to Marty Booker for 15 yards. So they actually get further, closer than they would get down to the 30-yard line on fourth and three. This is where I laugh hysterically. Even then, on fourth and three at the Detroit 30, the Bears go for it. So in other words, if they went for it from the 30 on fourth and three, they clearly were not going to go for it fourth and eight from the 35. They would have tried the field goal. That would have played right in the morning with strategy for the beginning because he knew it the wind. And so the fact that he took that penalty rather than forced the Bears into a fourth and eight, that's the part that all right, was not a bad strategy per se to give the Bears uh, to give the you know to give the Bears the ball and, and and hope the wind would be a factor. And when the opportunity absolutely presented itself, what does he do? He turtles up and does you know takes the path of least resistance and and makes an, a boneheaded decision. And of course the bears convert the fourth and three from the 30 move on down, eventually kick a more makeable field goal. So I just wanted to revisit that for accuracy's sake, because I always said, um, I always pointed out that his decision after the decision to, um, uh, to, to, to kick the ball really undermined that original decision. But it wasn't until I looked at the play by play that I realized just absolutely, you know, how bad that was. So that's well, it. I'll never speak of Marty Morningwood's boneheaded decision again. I mean, I know what Marty was worried about if they'd gone to fourth and eight was what happened to him on fourth and three. If you can't stop the combination of Jim Miller to Des White, no, I mean, you cannot. Yeah, Des with a big five-yard catch on fourth and three to keep the drive alive, and then I love how they finished the drive. Leon Johnson for two yards. Leon Johnson yep. for one yard. Leon Johnson for no gain. Then a four-yard yeah. field. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and we, you know, more than we say, didn't even come till the end. Um, I feel better, frankly, Andy. After after what the Bears have been doing for for the last five weeks and really the last thirty years, um, getting to explore everything about uh, the lines during the same time has really sort of created some balance for me. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, as bad as things are, we're still not the Lions. That's, <laughs> that's we can comfort ourselves with that. Amen to that. It's a cold comfort, but a comfort nonetheless. Yep. All right. Oh, I haven't even looked ahead to see who we yeah, get who, to, do, who do we get to beat up next week? It might be the Houston Texans, but I got to double check. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to stretch that a little bit, but you know, 
We can do it. Is it the Texans or do they do they come right back to the Packers? No, the Packers are the season finale. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the remaining schedule is Texans at Bears on the 13th. Bears at Vikings on the 20th. Bears at the Jaguars and the 27th. Mike Glennon and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then it all wraps up on January 3rd at home against the Packers. It's going to be a great sprint to get extra eggnog for Matt Nagy and the Bears. Well, the nice thing about looking backwards, as you and I do on this podcast, as opposed to looking forward like you and Mike Pusateri do, is that the events of the field don't really have to (laughs) challenge us so much. Yeah, it is. uh, It's it's terrible that the... uh, Current podcast, the the so typically the my Monday night podcast is depressing, and then the Tuesday night podcast is always fun to look back and make fun of people. But yeah, glad to be a part of it. You guys do a good job on that, but I know it's hard to do when the team is absolutely that frustrating. So you know, kudos to you. Well, I got a lot of I got a lot of uh, uh, experience. Got a lot of reps uh, talking about the Cubs over the years. Um. That's until, true. Until That's comes true. of recent vintage. And, a little bit of a template. And when people say it's a lot easier to make fun of the team when they're bad, it's really not. It's a lot more fun to make fun of a good team because there's always stuff to make fun of. Um, yeah, bad teams are just no fun. So I'm not sure the numbering is right um, because of some of the pods, the early podcasts with, um, uh, with Brat are lost to the bathroom. Bad. But this, of the ones we have... This is the 100th podcast, so I hope you're honored to be on the 100th Discipio slash Pointless Exercise podcast. Whoa! Yes. That's one podcast for every four listeners, pretty much. (laughs) Is that right? Something like that. All right. All right. Well, then, uh, yeah. I'm gonna study up on your uh, on your Texans. Um, gonna be. You know, we already talked. We we mentioned David. It. We mentioned David it, Carr today, and there could be some great great stories about him getting sacked seventy eight uh-huh. times or whatever it was that one year. But uh, so that's next week. So just not against the Bears in 04. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that will I'll, be. A I'll, game be I'll, I'll bone up on it. I'll be ready. All right. We'll see you next week then, Mike. All right, Annie, take it easy. Many of us have herpes. 